is that chief cornerstone. We are right to read these words as directed not just to a bunch of Jewish men, but to the men who would serve as the foundation of the church. Not only that, Jesus is going to begin the second part of the upper room discourse with that very famous analogy of, I am the vine. Is that one of our things up here? Oh, yeah, there you go. I am the true vine. You are the branches. That is a, a picture very close to what Paul says when Paul talks about how we have been united as the body of Christ. In other words, Jesus' command is, is new not because God has never told his people to love one another, he has told his people to love one another. It's new because Jesus is starting a new program with the church. This is a group of people who are uniquely united together as the body of Christ. And so the first command to this new people of God, the first command to the church is this. Love one another. This command has been the command of God since the Old Testament but this command is a new command because it's to the church. Love one another. Brothers and sisters, look around for a minute. Who do you see? Seriously, look around. We see one another. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see the ones that Christ commanded you to love. And as a church, you know how seriously we take Jesus' command. In fact, it was just last Sunday that we looked at one another and we made this promise to one another to encourage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return to watch over one another in brotherly love, not causing a fellow believer to stumble, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, endeavoring with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows, and being mindful of the rules of our Savior to be slow to take offense and always ready to seek reconciliation. This is the covenant that we make with one another. This is what it looks like to love one another. Jesus has commanded you to love one another. Look around. Who don't you see this morning? There are members of our body who are not here this morning. Why? Do you know why? How can you obey Jesus' command to love one another to those who are from our body but aren't able to be here this morning? Can you think of some creative ways in which you can be an encouragement to one another who aren't able to be with us here this morning? This command this new command that Jesus gives us. This is a new command because we're not Israel. We're the church. And we have been united to Christ. But the command is also new because we have a new example. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus makes us a one another. He makes us a body because we are united together with him. And not only that, but he has given himself as the chief example that we are to follow. 
How did Jesus love us? Well, in the context, the Apostle John set out very carefully at the beginning of chapter 13, the exact way that Jesus loved the disciples in the upper room. And this is the exact language that he used to frame it with. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, you're supposed to read that command, love one another, in light of what Jesus did in John 13.1. Jesus loved his disciples to the end, to the uttermost. And he put this love on display by serving the disciples in the most menial and humble way possible. He washed their feet. But that act... That foot washing, that was itself a picture of a greater service of love which Jesus would love us with when he died for our sins. We have committed ourselves over the last few weeks to thinking very carefully about the love of Jesus that was shown in the upper room. I confess my, my imagination was, was uh, captured by that connection between John 13, 1 to 4 and Philippians 2. Jesus laid aside his outer garment just as he had laid aside the brilliant splendor of his glory when he took on human form. Jesus took a towel and tied it around his waist just as he had taken the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And Jesus poured water in a basin and washed the disciples' feet just as he had humbled himself in coming to earth to die on a cross. This is the example of love. And what we have seen in this example of love is that in love, Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to serve us. And Jesus came to to love his enemies. That's what the love of Jesus looks like in John 13. So if part of the newness of this new commandment is the example of Jesus, then the example that we have is a love which saves us, a love which serves us, and a love which extends even to our enemies. We spent three weeks looking at those three different aspects and marveling over the love and the glory of Jesus in those things. And now over the next few minutes, we're going to put some practical flesh and blood on those things. Apply it to, since we have that example, to our love for one another. This is the example that we have for how to love one another. And we begin by this example of Jesus to love us by saving us. Now, it's clear, in the greatest spiritual sense, we can't save one another, right? We confess one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, as I think about how this example of Jesus extends to us and how we follow his example, I'm reminded of a few different instructions that we have in the New Testament. It's interesting, actually, almost every single author of the New Testament talks about this in one way or another. Paul says in Galatians, to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, which is to say every Christian, we're all spiritual, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, you can't ultimately save anyone, but Jesus wants to use you as a tool, as an implement, as an instrument of salvation in the life of your brother or sister who may be struggling with sin. Jude writes something similar in Jude 22 to 23. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now when Jude says, save others by snatching them out of the fire, he's not telling us all to become volunteer firemen. That's not the point. He's talking spiritually. He's talking about how we should be intervening in the lives of one another when we see a brother or sister who's making very foolish and sinful decisions run after them and save them. There's consequences for disobedience. James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and the brother of Jude who wrote those words, James wrote something similar. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As Christians, we have a real responsibility with one another to be used by Jesus to save one another from the destruction of sin. I can't help but also think of the words of the author of Hebrews. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another daily, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Though we cannot save each other in the sense that Jesus saves us in that ultimate sense, we love one another by watching over one another, watching over our souls, lest we be tempted by the deceitfulness of sin. How do you do that? How can you do that with your brothers and sisters? Do you have a a relationship with your brothers and sisters where you're comfortable enough even talking with them about signs of danger and disobedience in their lives? Do you spend time with one? I mean, honestly, if just kind of a random uh, Joe Schmo showed up and started telling me that I'm a horrible, wretched sinner and I just did something terrible, I'd be a little like, get out of my life, right? (laughs) If I don't know you, I'm not going to be taking criticism very well from you. Which means we need to have a certain kind of relationship with one another before that day of confrontation even comes. This is the kind of life that we commit to living with one another when we covenant with one another. That's the point of our church covenant. So we have this example of Jesus who's saving us. And so we ought to, in a creaturely sense, save one another. We also have in Jesus this example of him serving us. The New Testament repeatedly, repeatedly calls us to serve one another. Following the example of Jesus, who loved us by serving us, is a major theme of the uh, epistles, the letters from the apostles. How often do you look for opportunities to serve your brothers and sisters in ways 
that they need to be served and not necessarily ways that you just kind of want to serve. You see, it's, it's easy for us to, to serve one another when it's, when it's convenient, isn't it? When it kind of fits with our style. It's another thing, it's a tougher thing, to look for those opportunities where there's genuine needs in our brothers' and sisters' lives and, and to plug ourselves in to fill those needs, whatever they are. I'm, I'm willing to come and, and serve you with a, a nail gun if, if you need it. We might look for someone else who's more gifted in that way. But <laughs> the point is, it's okay. And it's actually good and right to get out of your comfort zone, to serve one another in love. But knowing how to serve one another, again, it depends on knowing one another very well. You're not going to tell a stranger or even an acquaintance of the areas in your life where you're really struggling and you need help with. That kind, of, that kind of relationship only comes with trust, with time. And again, this is the nature of our relationship with one another. This is what Jesus intended for us to have within the local church. So how can you grow in your service towards your brothers and sisters? Finally, the example of Jesus was in this upper room, even to love his enemies as he loved Judas that night and washed his feet. And this is a real challenge for each of us, isn't it? We find ourselves in that same war in our souls that we saw last week in that story of Robert Ketchum with J. Frank Norris. But this is what brings glory to Jesus when we're willing to even love our enemies and pray for their, for their good this is how we follow the example of Jesus. So Jesus is the example of love which we ought to have when we love one another. We ought to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. We love one another in a self-sacrificing way. We love one another in a way that's committed to the flourishing and the spiritual good of one another. We love one another in a, in a way that is committed to demonstrating the glory of God in Christ. This is how we love one another. Why? Why must we follow the example of Jesus and love one another in this sacrificial way? Well, Jesus tells us right here in our text. John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now these words have been have been misunderstood by some Christians as a, as a command to seek uh, unity with everybody regardless of, of the, uh, regardless of the cost. You know, seek unity. Jesus isn't telling us here that denominations are bad, right? That's not the point. Uh, the point is not that distinctions between Christians are bad and we should knock those things down and, and just love one another. Having different denominations is not a cause for unbelievers to not believe. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not true. Jesus' words are actually quite simple. Jesus says, if you love one another the way that Jesus loves you, then all people will know that you are Jesus' disciple. Pretty clear. And we can see why this would be the case, can't we? What's, what's the example of the love which we have just been given in this text? It's a self-forgetting kind of love. It's a love that's not based on feelings. It's not based on circumstances. 
It's not based on, it's, it's based on knowing something. It's based on knowing who this Jesus is. It's based on knowing what this God has done for us. It's knowing that God forgave both me and this individual, united us in Jesus, and so I can love them as my brother in Christ because Jesus loves them. This is a love that is understanding from God's perspective the value of brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking first the kingdom of heaven, if you will. And so when we act on that basis, when we act out of love for others in that regard, then, then we're going to be motivated to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. Then we're going to be an example to the world around us of a kind of love that they just can't fathom. You see, in the big picture, when we're loving people like this, we have nothing to lose in God's eyes by humbling ourselves and loving one another in a, in a sacrificial way. We have actually everything to gain in God's eyes. This is an evaluation that the world just doesn't understand. This is a commitment to love one another that the world just doesn't understand. If you love your brothers and sisters in the church in this kind of way, in a humble, in a, in a self-sacrificing way, in a way that is dedicated for their good and for their flourishing, the people around you are just going to know, you must be a disciple of Jesus because this looks weird. This isn't the way that we treat one another. But why? Why is that the case? I'm going to be my, my three-year-old. Why? Why? Why is it the case that if we love one another this way, forgetting about ourselves, committing ourselves to them, why is it the case that the world is not going to understand that? Why, why are they going to know that we must be disciples of Jesus if we're loving one another that way? I mean, can't anyone be nice? Can't anyone care for other people? Not really. It doesn't work like that. This kind of Jesus love for one another is something that only Jesus can pull off. And it's something that he does pull off through his spirit in your life as a Christian. Now, something that we're going to get to in a few weeks, something a little bit further on here in this upper room discourse, is the new kind of ministry of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, living in our hearts, and he's doing something new with us as the church. This kind of a love that we're talking about, that we ought to have for one another, this is something that only Jesus can do. And so it's something that only Jesus can do in you. The fruit of the Spirit, after all, is love. Now, the world around you is not going to understand that your love for your brothers and sisters in the church is actually enabled by the indwelling spirit of Jesus who lives in you. That's a little bit profound for an unsaved person to understand. But what they will understand is that this kind of love that we have for one another, this is not normal. This is not the way that people normally treat one another. This kind of humble, self-sacrificing love which Christians have for one another, following the example of Jesus, this is not the way that people normally treat one another, but it is an admirable way that Christians live with one another. 
do you start to see why it's so important to start this whole conversation off with looking at the glory of God in Jesus? Do you see why Jesus started by explaining to us his glory? You see, if we're not starting from that perspective, if we're not starting from the vision of God revealing to us his glory through Jesus Christ, through the love of Jesus for us as his people, then this new command to love one another, it's not only impossible, it's also nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. But when we start from here, with our eyes focused on Jesus and following his example, with his spirit, we actually can love one another. We can love one another, even sacrificially. And this love... It's not for the sake of the world, it's for the sake of Jesus, but it has the, the effect of being a testimony to the world. The world looks at us and sees something that it cannot understand. It sees the glory of Jesus. It doesn't know that it's the glory of Jesus, but it does know that it's something that they don't understand. And then we interpret it for them and explain this is the love of Jesus. How do you think you're doing at this command? How's your love for your brothers and sisters? I have to tell you, as, as your pastor, it encourages me it, tremendously. Sometimes I don't even know that there is a, a need going on. Catastrophe has hit the life of somebody, and I find out that meals are already being lined up and the rest of it before I even know something happened. And that's encouraging. That is good. It is helpful to know that this is a church where we love one another, even sacrificially. But maybe this morning you need to work on this. Maybe this morning you're allowing bitterness and hurt to disrupt your love for your brothers and sisters. Maybe you just simply aren't that committed to your brothers and sisters the way that Jesus describes in this text. Consider the significance of Jesus' words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This isn't a suggestion. This is not a good idea for how you ought to think about maybe living with the people around you. Just like God told Israel, love your neighbor as yourself, so Jesus tells you a new commandment. Love one another, just as he loved you. So let us follow the example the opening words of this upper room discourse are rich. We hear a call from this text, not to, not to see our freedoms, not to love our freedoms, not to love our liberty, but to love our Jesus. See the glory of God that is revealed in Jesus through the cross, and not only in the cross, but in the resurrection as well. Jesus is glorious, so look to him and believe. And because you believe in Jesus... Love your brothers. How's your love? We love one another by following the example of Jesus. To save one another, to serve one another, and even to love our enemies. This morning, are you zealous to guard the souls of your brothers and sisters? Do you encourage and exhort one another? Or do you just kind of figure, well, that's the pastor's job, he'll get around to it. This is part of the example that Jesus sets for us. So we must be committed to loving one another in this way. 
Are you zealous to serve your brothers and sisters? What brother or sister do you notice that's missing, who you can reach out to this morning, find out how they're doing, and, and serve in the ways that they need to be served? When was the last time you took the initiative to, to serve a brother or a sister in the church simply because you love them? I know for many of you, you're doing that. I also know that that's something that we can grow in. What would it look like for you to love the brothers and sisters in your church with this kind of a, of a self-forgetting kind of a love, just looking to bless your brothers and sisters? You don't have to wait for a brother or sister to suffer. You can serve them just to serve them. Loving one another isn't limited to making meals for people, although that is a helpful start. How can you take the initiative and serve your brothers and sisters in this church, putting your love for them on display? Brothers and sisters, we have a new commandment from Jesus, a new command, love one another. The commandment of Jesus is not burdensome. Let us see the glory of God in Jesus. Show this love of Jesus to one another. Let the world see that we love one another and they know that this Jesus is real. Father, we thank you for